I thank you. Let's let's pray, and then we'll open up the the scriptures and hopefully learn something today. I thank you, Lord, for who you are. I thank you not so much for what you've done, but I I, I thank you for who you are and the changes that you've made in me. I thank you for bringing me here, me and my family. I thank you for bringing us to this part of your body. I thank you for bringing us not just there, but giving us this building continues to grow so greatly that we cannot deny that it is you that is moving this along. And I just thank you, Lord, for using me to be able to share your word, not just to the 20 or 30 people in Bentley, Kansas, but worldwide. And somebody listens, I, I, just, I just thank you, and I know that you will have them tune in when they need to hear it the most. I pray, Lord, that it not be my will and, and my words and my intellect here tonight. And I just pray, Father, that you, you move through me and it be your words and your will and your sermon to your people, to your sons and daughters, to your body, to your bride right here tonight. And I pray that everyone under the sound of my voice just open their ears father that they can hear and their eyes to see and their heart that they can understand this is not an intellectual gospel this is a this is a gospel of our heart and we have to have it here not just know it but we have to know that we know it and we have to not just be able to spout scriptures and verses but we have to be able to live it and let people see you in us the greatest compliment of all is he or she has been with Jesus. Move so mightily in this room, Lord, and I just pray that you, you just, just, I ask that you bind every foul and unclean spirit in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, and I cast you out of here, Satan, and I put you on notice that you will not distract, deter, manipulate, take away from, add to anything that is not of the scripture, that is not of you have no power here. You have no power against one of us, even just the young of us, much less when we all bind our faith together and we stand here in the holy presence of Jesus Christ. You, you cannot be here and we, we cast you out that you will not deter or dis deflect in any way from this sermon, from anyone listening. You have to listen to what we have to tell you. And I thank you, Lord, for what you're going to do through this sermon. And I just ask that you move mightily. And in Jesus' name we pray, amen. So, Brother Sam asked me Sunday if I had anything on my heart to share. And I had other things. And here we are with nothing that I had to share. Not what I thought I was going to do, at least. So we're just going to start in 1 Samuel 16. And we're going to read for a minute there. Um, if anything, we're going to be good readers after tonight. 
1 Samuel 16, verse 1. And we're going to go all the way through 13. And the Lord said unto Samuel, How long wilt thou mourn for Saul, seeing I have rejected him from reigning over Israel? Fill thine horn with oil and go. I will send thee to Jesse, the Bethlehemite, Bethlehemite, for I have provided me a king among his sons. And Samuel said, How can I go? If Saul hear it, he will kill me. And the Lord said, Take a heifer with thee, and say, I am come to sacrifice to the Lord, and call Jesse to the sacrifice, and I will show thee what thou wilt do. And thou shalt anoint unto me him whom I name unto thee. And Samuel did that which the Lord spoke, and came to Bethlehem, and the elders of the town trembled at his coming and said, Comest thou peaceably? And he said peaceably, I am come to sacrifice unto the Lord. Sanctify yourselves and come with me to the, the sacrifice. And he sanctified Jesse and his sons, and he called them to the sacrifice. And it came to pass when they were come that he looked on Eliab and said, Surely the Lord's anointed is before him. So we're just going to pause for a minute. Think about that. He just, Jesse had a whole bunch of sons and he's going to be, of course you, I mean, you got Saul standing probably six foot eight, six foot nine. He was a massive man, massive man. So they're like, well, if that's what he's here for, he's looking for the same type of thing. We got to have somebody that can take on Saul. We don't want a small puny. I mean, you know, you look at a country by who their leader is. They are the head of that country. So if Israel is looking for, you know, Jesse and Samuel's like, oh, that's got to be the one. He's a big kid. He's strong. He, he's almost, you know, in the age to go into the army. He's got to be the one. But the Lord said unto Samuel, look not on his countenance or on the height of his stature, because I have refused him. For the Lord seeth not as man seeth, for man looketh on the outward appearance, but the Lord looketh on the heart. Then Jesse called Abinadab, made him pass before Samuel, and he said, Neither hath the Lord chosen this. Thank you so much. Then Jesse made Shammah to pass by, and he said, Neither hath the Lord chosen this. Again, Jesse made seven of his sons to pass before Samuel, and Samuel said unto Jesse, the Lord hath not chosen these. And Samuel said unto Jesse, Are here all thy children? And he said, There remaineth yet the youngest, and behold, he keepeth the sheep. And Samuel said unto Jesse, Send and fetch him, for we will not sit down till he come hither. And he sent, y'all are probably thinking that right now, be like, Matt, we'd like to sit down, but we're waiting. And he sent and brought him in. Now he was ruddy, and withal of a beautiful countenance, and goodly to look to. And the Lord said, Arise, anoint him, for this is he. Then Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the midst of his brethren, and the Spirit of the Lord came upon David from that day forward. So Samuel rose up and went to Ramah. You can be seated. I know that was a lot. But that is the basis foundation of what I really want to talk about. Not so much David, but David is such a perfect example 
that there's really not many other places to look to but to David. And not just people go, oh, well, he was the king and he did this and he did that. But look at everything. So around this time, there's not a lot of historical facts, but he was somewhere around the age of 10 to 15 years old when Samuel showed up to anoint him. And that's why I would say he was probably almost closer to the 10. That's why Samuel didn't even, or Jesse didn't even bring him out because he's like, he's small, he's scrawny. Yeah, he's handsome, but that's not going to get us anywhere but in a beauty pageant. Excuse me. So I told you that I didn't have, I'm going to go back a little bit because I need to share this. Uh, Brother Sam asked me Sunday if I had anything on my heart, and I had other things, uh, but it's just not time to preach them. And um, it's almost aggravating when you're like, I know that I want to preach this. Like, I want to preach on this subject. And I was telling Erica before, it was almost like you'd have thought I'd never read anything in the Bible but the scriptures that I'm using tonight, I had like complete amnesia of everything else. I was almost blinded to. And I, I mean, I read my Bible every day, but I'm like, what was that? No names, no nothing. So it was almost like there was nothing else that I could have brought but this. So I didn't start writing any notes until Monday. I came home from work Monday, and I was like, man, that was a good day of work. I've been doing the same thing, but it was just like I got to work, boom, break time, boom, lunchtime, boom, break time, time to go home. So fast. And I started writing notes, and then yesterday was a little worse, just boring and drugged by. And, uh, and then today, I didn't think it was ever going to end, and... My ankle's hurting because the weather changed, and then my knee was hurting, then my back was hurting, then uh, my nose has started running like I thought I'd got rid of it. And it's just been one thing after another to just, I got so tired once I got home that I was like, I can't make it. Like, I'm not even going to be able to take a shower. I am so tired. And it's just, I looked at my notes, and I didn't even really, I didn't even have over a page of it was just a couple scriptures and I didn't even of course see where the Lord wanted to go with it I'm still I guess you could say I'm just up here winging it I mean I have what he gave me but I don't know where he's going with it I have an idea but it's not what I wanted to bring it's not something that uh I really thought that um would be a direction that I wanted to go uh, we've all heard about David. Everybody knows who David is. Everybody knows David killed a bear and David killed a lion and David killed Goliath and David was a king and he was a man after God's own heart. So when somebody gets up here in front of a, such a well-learned audience, and this is something that Satan's really been working on me about, and I know he's a liar and, and he can just go off somewhere else, but well, everybody knows this, everybody knows this, everybody knows this. But then we have to think, we have another variable in the ministry of this church, um, 
and it's that little blank camera back there and the recording that I hope she hit record on, it goes a lot of places. And we don't know. We don't know who's going to just happen to turn it on at that right time. Uh, I told y'all about one of my first messages that I ever preached was I was actually in Qatar, which is a Muslim country. I thought off the Horn of Africa. It's actually connected to the continent of Africa, but it's part of Southwest Asia. Confusing geographics, but um, it was a full gospel church. I was pretty much the only white guy there. Um, if you've never been to an all-black full gospel church, uh, they know how to worship. Um, you might get scared. So I got up there, and first off, you know, everybody's kind of looking at me, and Satan's like, oh, they don't want to listen to you. You're the white guy, This, of course. And I start preaching, and it was dead silent. I would have loved to have a crying baby just to break the awkward silences. It was just something. Somebody make noise. And at the very end of it, almost, I mean, within the last 10 minutes, maybe, um, it was set up much like this. There were doors in the back. Uh, a young lady walks in, and she just sat, I mean, almost where the, the soundboard is. She barely came in the door and sat down. But at the time that she opened the door, I said, he did this for you. And I pointed, and she walked into my point. She opened the door to this. And she sat down, and I talked about just, and we're talking about salvation and what Jesus did and what it means and kind of explaining it a little bit. And I said, even if you were the only person to ever accept him, he still would have gone through all that for you. And she just starts crying. Boom, breaks down. And I'm like, wow. That went better than I thought. So, Brother Sam's been talking about, you know, I don't know what Satan sees. I don't know what he knows. I don't know if when when Sam said, do you have something to preach Wednesday, if he went to God and said, hey, can you give me a little bit just so I can work on him or what's going to go on, who's going to listen to it? Uh, but he's been working hard on this one. Amen. I did not have a title till just a couple minutes ago because I didn't really. There's so many different ways to take it. Uh, kind of the theme of it is being anointed, but the title. I feel to title it, kneel down and pick up your grace. So now back to where we just left off. So King Saul, he is he is now king, and Samuel said, do y'all really want him? And they said, oh, yeah, we do. We want this big, strong guy to rule our armies and scare other countries because other countries have big, strong guys. And he's like, he's going to take your sons and your daughters and your fields and your vineyards, and he's just, you're all just going to, it's going to be horrible. You're going to lose everything. And they said, it doesn't matter. Look how tall he is. I mean, that's, that's basically what happened, right? So Samuel heads out after nobody listened to him, and he said they didn't listen, or they rejected me, and God said they didn't reject you. They rejected me. Um, please, I pray that I never 
get to a point that when God tells me to do something that I go, well, um, sometimes it's hard and it's scary and it's out of your comfort zone. I can guarantee that it will be out of your comfort zone. Um, but like I said, the more Satan tries to tell you not to do it, you should know that it's the right thing to do. God will never, never tell you not to tell somebody about what's going on in this church. Um, Tony of this church is so powerful. Um, the things that just we've seen in the last year and a half year and some change, um, and then not even counting the $1,000 building, but you can't make this stuff up. So Samuel leaves off, and, and then God says, hey, I want you to anoint somebody that's going to be king. And he's like, if I go back in to Bethlehem, Saul's going to hear about it, and he's going to kill me. And he said, no. Like, even as great as Samuel was, as much as, Samuel listened to what God told him to do. How many times do we see not just Samuel, but other prophets come up with excuses or be scared because it's still, they're still in human flesh. Brother Sam just talked about it Sunday. So Samuel's like, Saul's going to kill me. And God's like, Saul's not even going to see you. Just take a heifer. If anybody says anything, They'll go, oh, okay. So he did. So he goes in, and he's like, okay, run all 10 of your sons by me. Run all your sons. And there's, I mean, if you count them, he names like three, and then he says ran seven more, and then he goes and finds David on the backside of the desert. So that's 11. Um, that's a lot of boys. And you know that when the first one came through, Brother Branham talks about this. Samuel was like, oh, that's the... And he's like, nope, not that one. Sit down. So he sits back down, and then he runs the, the second boy through, and he's like, well, he's a little bit shorter and not quite as strong, but he, he's good looking. He jumps up, and nope, not that one. Probably about halfway through, Samuel's like, you know what? I'm actually going to sit and wait for you because I'm getting tired of jumping up off of this stool. So he runs through all of them. And David was so ruddy, so skinny, so, as Brother Branham said, just kind of curled up, um, probably shy and um, didn't speak very loud. He, he, he might even, you know, he was just real quiet and he talked to sheep all the time. He doesn't have to, I mean, he, he probably has almost no interpersonal skills because they just send him out there to talk to the sheep. Go out there and take care of the sheep. Go do that. Go do that. Jesse didn't even think about calling him in. Until Samuel says, do you have anybody else? God rejected all of them. Do you have any other sons anywhere? And he's like, oh, well, I got that. Yeah, I guess my youngest. So he goes and gets David. And God immediately, that, that's him. So Samuel finally jumps up from his chair. And he goes and anoints him. If we move over to 17... We're just a couple years down the road. Samuel's somewhere around 16 to 19. And the reason that we say that he is between 16 and 19 is because he wasn't in the army yet. Excuse me. And at that time, you had to be 20 to join the army. So he has to be under 20. 
So it's not far down the road. 1717. I need to turn the page. Now you've all heard this story, but just bear with me for a minute. And Jesse said unto David his son, Take now for thy brethren an ephah of this parched corn or grain, and these ten loaves, and run to the camp to thy brethren, and carry these ten cheeses unto the captain of their thousand, and look how thy brethren fare, and take their pledge. Now Saul and they and all the men of Israel were in the valley of Elah, fighting with the Philistines. And David rose up early in the morning and left the sheep with the keeper and took and went as Jesse had commanded him. And he came to the trench as the host was going forth to fight and shouted for the battle. For Israel and the Philistines had put the battle in array army against army. And David left his carriage, or his baggage, in the hand of the keeper of the carriage, and ran into the army, and came and saluted, or greeted, his brethren. And as he talked with them, behold, there came up the champion, the Philistine of Gath, Goliath by name, out of the armies of the Philistines, and spake according to the same words, and David heard them. And all the men of Israel, when they saw the man, fled from him and were sore afraid. And the men of Israel said, Have ye seen this man that has come up surely to defy Israel? As he come up, and it shall be that the man who killeth him, the king will enrich him with great riches and will give him his daughter and make his father's house free in Israel. And David spake to the men and said to them, what shall be done to the man that killeth this Philistine and taketh away the reproach from Israel? For who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? This is a 16-year-old kid that just walked up and was like, why are all of you so scared? Have you not read any scroll up to this point to know that he cannot do anything. And you go, well, David got anointed, so maybe he was not David knew God because when he's talking to the sheep, that's the only other voice he probably heard most of his days. Brother Branham talks about going to his private places to, I was listening to um, anointed, what is it? It was in 19, like 65. The chosen ones anointed at the end. Uh, yep. Anointed one to the end time. And uh, he talks about going to a meal that he likes to pray at. And he said, after a couple days. And that sprung out to me so quickly. After a couple days, he got a word from the Lord that he was seeking as to what to do in that situation. And you go, well, Matt, I have a job and I have this and I have that. But how many times do you constantly, constantly of every minute of every day, do you have to talk to another human being? There are times when you can sit and quietly talk to God. Yes, Brother Branham very much 
he had days to do it, and he knew, I'm not going to walk out of here until I get what I came for. Do we do that, or do we just go, God, thank you for what you did today. Thank you for you know, the, the sun and the moon and the stars and, and the food that I ate. All right, I got to get back to work. What has so easily beset us? What has taken our eye off of God that when Satan comes in, this is something that I really want to bring out and I want everybody to listen. Goliath did not attack. He just stood there and yelled and yelled and yelled. When Satan comes at us and he tells us, you're you're no good, you're not this, God doesn't move anymore, God doesn't do miracles. All we're doing is we listen to him so long that we go, you're right, and walk away from it. Because he cannot lay his hand on you, and I plan to prove that. All he can do is yell and scream and bark at you. He comes like this big giant that's 14 feet tall and 14 inch long fingers and you're just like man that's so big and so scared and you run away but you know that something inside of you that little shepherd boy inside of you that's already been anointed if you don't know we're all anointed is telling you who is this uncircumcised philistine that dares to defy the armies of the living god 27, and the people answered him after that manner, saying, so shall it be done to the man that killeth him. All they care about is what, who, who's going to get what the king will do. Now, Saul never said, I'll do these things, but they're all trying to puff up. Hey, you should do it because you'll be rich. You should do it because you'll get to marry Saul's daughter. You should do it because you'll get a place in the king's court because look what you did. Well, why don't you do it? Oh, no. Do you see the size of him? That's not my battle. God didn't tell me to do it. And Eliab, his eldest brother, heard when he spake unto the men, and Eliab's anger was kindled against David, and he said, Why camest thou down hither, and with whom hast thou left those few sheep in the wilderness? I know thy pride and the naughtiness of thine heart, for thou art come down that thou mightest see the battle. He came down because his dad said, hey, can you go check on your brothers and take them a little bit of home-cooked food? I've been deployed. There is nothing better than opening a package and it being some sort of home-cooked baked goods. We love it. It is so good, even if it's not from your home, some little lady sent a package and it was from home and you know that the love that was put into it that's all David was trying to do. His dad sent him down to check on his brothers. He said, hey, go check on them. Give them this food. Give, give their boss some cheese and just, you know, see what they're doing. See, see if they need anything. And then Eliab is like, you only came down here so that you could see what we're doing. And you're, you're such a bad kid. And who left the sheep? And I, I left them with a keeper. Like, I did what I was told to do. Why are you worried about the sheep when he's standing there? And David said, what have I now done? Is there not a cause? And he turned from him toward another and spake after the same manner. And the people answered him again after the former manner. 
And when the words were heard which David spake, they rehearsed them before Saul, and he sent for him. Nobody had a game plan but the little kid that showed up with a couple loaves and a couple cheese. Nobody in this whole army. A random kid showed up and said, this is what I think we need to do. And they practiced it and then went and told Saul. Thirty-two. And David said to Saul, Let no man's heart fail because of him. Thy servant will go and fight with this Philistine. And Saul said to David, Thou art not able to go against this Philistine to fight with him, for thou art but a youth, and he a man of war from his youth. And David said unto Saul, Thy servant kept his father's sheep. David already knows that's not his job anymore. That's past tense. Thy servant kept his father's sheep, not keeps his father's sheep. David knows what's going to happen. There's no doubt in David's mind that there is anything but victory on the horizon. We fight and we struggle and we listen to what Satan has to say, but we need to know that there should be no doubt in your mind that there is nothing but victory. God said he will go before us into our battles that no man, none of his shall be forsaken. So why do we think when Satan says he's just going to leave you here to die, we go, you just brought us out of Egypt to die. You brought me out of that trial to put me into another trial so that I can die here. Instead of you took me out of that one to put me in this one so that I can be stronger, so that I can be more refined so that I can turn to you more, so that I can see where my strength comes from. David said that no matter where I lay my head, he's with me. Even those times that we think that he's not there, those times that we go, why do I feel you have left me out here in this dry and weary land that I cannot do anything, that I'm out here by myself, I only see one set of footprints. You left me here in the desert to die. And he just goes, that's because I had to carry you because you fail. But I'm still here. You will never be forsaken. You will never be found begging for bread. You always have victory. We all struggle with it. Don't, don't think that I'm up here saying that I never... I never lose in battles, but just know that there's a reason that God let that battle come at you, that he let you have that fight. And it's just as simple as turning to him and keeping your eye off of the storm and just looking at him and letting him do what he does. David had no doubt here. David had more faith that he was going to have victory over this 14-foot-tall giant than the sun rising in the morning. He knew that he knew that he knew that he knew that he was going to come out of this victorious. 33, and Saul said to David, Thou art not able to go against this Philistine and fight him, for you are a youth, and he is a man of war from his youth. And David said unto Saul, Thy servant kept his father's sheep. 
And there came a lion and a bear and took a lamb out of the flock. And I went after him and smote him and delivered it out of his mouth. And when he arose against me, I caught him by his beard and smote him and slew him. Thy servant slew both the lion and the bear, and this uncircumcised Philistine shall be as one of them, seeing he hath defied the armies of the living God. Shall be. Did not have any doubt in his mind, in his heart. There was not a seed of doubt. David said, Moreover, the Lord that delivered me out of the paw of the lion and out of the paw of the bear, he will deliver me out of the hand of this Philistine. And Saul said unto David, Go, and the Lord be with thee. And Saul armed David with his armor, and he put a helmet of brass upon his head, and also he armed him with a coat of mail, and David girded his sword upon his armor, and he essayed it to go. Proved it. And David said unto Saul, I cannot go with thee. For I would put them off him. Saul was not a small man. He was easily six eight, six nine ish probably. He was massive. They said he was head and shoulders over everybody. So his armor, he, he wasn't tall and skinny and scrawny. He was pretty stocky too. So you're talking like you know, putting my jacket on Lily or something. But it's made of metal. And it's a helmet to fit this big old head that probably would fall down over her shoulders. And a sword that probably weighs as much as she did. Brother Branham says David probably weighed about 110 pounds. The armor weighed more than he did. And they're, here, take this with you so you can fight him. And David said, I haven't proved this. And he puts his shepherd robe back on. And he grabs his little sling and he goes, I've proved this. I've proved my faith. My weapons of warfare are not carnal. My weapons of warfare are my faith in which who I believe. And he's already said, I'm going to win. So he took, uh, he took his staff in his hand and chose him five smooth stones out of the brook and put them in a shepherd's bag, which he had even in a scrip. And his sling was in his hand, and he drew Philistine. Now, a scrip is something that the shepherds, this is what Brother Branham talks about, a scrip is something they would keep honey in. So he put his five stones into the bag, filled with honey, and then when he took it out, and they, they get anointed in there, in the honey, and they don't, they're not just stones anymore. They are now being proved and they are being used by God. David, David could have flicked that stone like this and it would have cracked his skull just the same. After the Philistine came on and drew near unto David, the man that bare the shield went before him. And when the Philistine looked about and saw David, he disdained him, for he was but a youth and ruddy and of a fair countenance. And the Philistine said unto David, Am I a dog that thou comest to me with staves? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. 
And, Philist and the Philistines said to David, Come to me, and I will give thy flesh unto the fowls of the air and to the beasts of the field. Then David, or then said David to the Philistine, Thou comest to me with a sword and with a spear and with a shield, but I come to thee in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom thou hast defied. This day will the Lord deliver thee into mine hand, and I will smite thee and take thine head from thee, and I will give the carcass of the, to, of the host of the Philistines this day unto the fowls of the air and to the wild beasts of the earth, that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel. And all this assembly shall know that the Lord saveth not with sword and spear, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give you into our hands. And it came to pass when the Philistine arose and came and drew nigh to meet David, that David hast, hasted and ran toward the army to meet the Philistine. And David put his hand in his bag and took thence a stone and slang it and smote the Philistine in his forehead, that the stone sunk into his forehead and he fell upon his face, face to the earth. So David prevailed over the Philistine with a sling and with a stone and smote the Philistine and slew him. But there was no sword in the hand of David. Therefore David ran and stood upon the Philistine and took his word and took his sword and drew it out of the sheath thereof and slew him and cut off his head therewith. And when the Philistines saw their champion was dead, they fled. And the men of Israel and of Judah arose and shouted and pursued the Philistines until thou come to the come to the valley and to the gates of Ekron. And the wounded of the Philistines fell down by the way to Sherim, even unto Gath and unto Ekron. David was so sure that he took off running. You're talking about somebody that was no taller than Sam running at somebody that's 10 to 14 feet tall with a spear so long, probably from here to the door almost, that he could have, David running, he could have just, and ended the whole thing. But he had never been challenged. Satan comes to us and he barks at us and all of his demons hang out behind him and go, look how strong he is. You can't touch him. Look how big he is. And we sit back and we just listen and we listen and we get discouraged and we, we, we turn around and we walk away because there's no other way for us to lose in that but for us to walk out of the situation defeated. We choose to be defeated. You choose to walk away defeated. David was by himself. Goliath had never been challenged by anybody, much less a little 14-year-old boy come running at him, 16, 17. A ruddy little boy that was just scrawny and weak, didn't even have a sword, couldn't even wear armor, just had a robe, a staff, and some rocks. While I was reading this, and this is where I came up with this, David didn't, and it doesn't say it, and I could be wrong, but this is the way that I like to think about it because David knew where victory comes from. David didn't just walk up and see some and grab a handful 
just bend over and grab it. Because David was still human. He had the faith that he was going to win. But he knew that victory for us comes on our knees. So when David walked up to that brook and he just, just a silent prayer, didn't even have to say anything because God told him what to pick up. He knew what rocks to get. He grabbed his five rocks. Why did he grab five? Why do you need five rocks? There's one giant. Did he think he was going to miss? No, because God said grab five rocks because five's the number of grace. So David knelt down and he grabbed these five rocks and they weren't little pebbles, but they couldn't be too big because the sling's only maybe this big. So you're talking maybe, I don't know, silver dollar size. Nice and smooth so they'll fly straight. He could have thrown it that way and it still hit its target. Let's be honest. There was no... There was no way that David could have lost as long as he did what he needed to do, what he was told to do, and he operated in his faith. 1958, sermon, Tested Faith Produces Goods, paragraph 18. Brother Branham says, and I quote, And Saul believed it from an intellectual stand, but David had an experience. Saul said, but before you go, or before you can do this, you'll have to get a college education. You'll, you'll, you better put on my degrees. I'll give you my degree. So he put his armor on him and his helmet on him. Could you imagine a man head and shoulders above all his army putting a helmet on a little bitty guy that wasn't over about this high? Went over head and ears and shoulders and all, I guess. And his great big wide shoulders. What did David look like standing there all dressed up like that? And his knees bowed together. He said, take this stuff off of me. I don't know nothing about it. Saul found out that his ecclesiastical vest didn't fit a man of God. I don't know nothing about your PhDs and so forth, he said. But let me go with what I've had an experience with. Amen. I feel real religious. Honest, I do. You may think I'm acting silly, but if you felt the same way I did, you'd maybe act that way too. I feel like David, when he danced before the ark of the Lord and his wife laughed at him, said, you didn't like that? Watch this. God said, he's a man after my own heart. He knowed what he was talking about. And he said, why? You can't fight this giant. He said, just take all these degrees off of me and this and all these church papers and everything. Let me get free once said, let me tell you something. Back yonder, when I was herding my daddy's sheep, there was a bear come in one day and grabbed one. And I picked up my slingshot, and I knocked him down. And I took the kid and brought it back. And a lion came in and grabbed one and run out. I knocked him down. And when I got to him, he raised up against me, and I killed him. He said, the God that delivered me out of the paw of the bear and of the lion, how much more will he deliver me out of the hands of that uncircumcised Philistine who's defying the armies of the living God? See, he had faith because he had experience. Men and women who's never known God know more than just to read about him. They don't have much experience. They don't know what to do, but a man that's ever met God and had an experience, that settles that settles it. David said if he did that, 
to save a lamb's life, how much more his people's life? And he said, how are you going to do that? said, I'm going to take this little slingshot. And he picked up five rocks and put them in five fingers. The slingshot, you know, you know what it is. We boys used to sling them. And when he started to meet him and the old giant laughed at him, which said, boy, you haven't got an education. You don't even speak good grammar. How are you going to do it? But what did he have? He had five stones, J-E-S-U-S, wrapped in his arms of F-A-I-T-H. Something had to take place. He had an experience with faith in Jesus. God directed the stone just right, and down went the giant, and the rest of them took courage. A few years ago, when the churches, full gospel churches, said the days of miracles is about sewed up, but somebody stepped out one day. Now, we've all took courage, and we fought the enemy to the wall, cutting, cut and slicing. It's time for David to act again, a man with faith. I pray that you can look through this and see yourself in it. I want everybody to put yourself in David's shoes, standing against the big giant, the biggest mountain, the biggest trial that you've ever faced. And why was David able to walk in there knowing that victory was his because of his testimony, because he had had an experience, because he had stepped out by himself with nothing more than the same slingshot in his hand and a staff in the other and defeated a lion and a bear. You ever been face-to-face with a lion? I haven't. It's bad enough at the zoo. And he said he grabbed it by the beard. They got a big old mouth. You can't overpower them in your own strength. Not, Not... You get all the men in here, we can't overpower one. And this little 12, 14-year-old boy had the faith enough to grab it by the beard and probably stab it in the neck and then just leave it there. But we, looking back at this, saying, oh, I know God. I've seen him move in this church I've seen him move in my life and the least little thing comes up and you throw your hands up in defeat and you go wallow in your own misery. The angel of the Lord told Brother Branham that not even cancer. We just had our men's breakfast and and, and we listened to faith as a substance and something that really stood out to me is when Jesus talks about the mustard seed. I didn't bring it with me, but it's literally, they're like this big. But the reason that Jesus said a mustard seed is, yes, it is small, but a mustard seed cannot be hybridized. So if you have this much pure, pure, unadulterated faith, you could tell the Rocky Mountains to move to the west coast of Wichita, Kansas. And that's both encouraging and discouraging at the same time because we still ain't got no mountains in Kansas. This much faith. We just finished The Chosen 
season three this past, what, last night? I think we watched it. And uh, Aaron and I were talking about it out in the in the foyer, the lobby, the vestibule. And uh, some little things that they, that they added. I don't even know if they realized they added. <coughs> Excuse me. But little things that were added. Um, when he when he multiplies the loaves and fishes for the for the people, Peter and John are standing off to the side with empty baskets. They weren't even in the main group of people. There was a distance there, and when they opened their baskets, they were just as full. I took that as we know this, and this I, I'm, I'm I should be repeating something that everybody knows, but Jesus is everywhere. So you don't have to be just here to get a blessing. You don't have to be just there to get a blessing. You don't have to go to Pawnee to get a blessing, Claremore, some other church. You don't have to go to Louisiana to get a blessing. You don't have to have Ron Spencer come to get a blessing because Jesus is everywhere. The lady with the issue of blood and chosen, she said just one thread, one thread, not even the whole garment, just one thread. All I got to do is just brush him with my hand. Yet we sit day in and day out and just let Satan beat us up with, oh, your back hurts, your knee hurts, your ankle hurts. Where is your faith tonight? Do you have the faith that if somebody came in here with cancer, you could say, cancer be gone and it's gone in the name of Jesus? We all struggle with it because we've been told that cancer is something that is uncurable. Science cannot cure cancer. Doesn't have a choice. When you say Jesus Christ in the name of Jesus, the one that created the body, the one that made us inside and out, that knew us before the foundation of the world, that wanted to spend time with us, before the foundation of the world, he let you get that cancer to see how you would react to it. There's a lot of cancer going around my shop. And uh, a lot of people, most of them, it's all been some sort of stage four this, stage four that, stage four this. Um, a lot of them just took, at least one of them just kind of gave up. He said, well, can't work anymore. I'm going to go home. Uh, I'm going to just go live on my bed until I die. He doesn't come to work anymore. We never see him. Um, Steve Dawkins refused to give up and it might not have been in any sort of faith he's just kind of a stubborn guy um he lost a lot he was a very muscular man and he is now looks like levi super skinny compared to where he was i mean we're talking he worked out for years and years and years he was a large big barrel chest massive biceps and now he's a beanpole. But he refused to give up the whole time. So whatever he had his faith in, whether that be the church that he goes to, I don't know where he goes, whether it be all of you praying for him, and I thank you very much for doing that, Um, he's still just as stubborn. 
he did stop tobacco and stuff, which is good because that's what caused it. But um, he came back to work before he was supposed to. He said, I don't have any more time off. I don't have any more money. I got to go back to work. And he's still doing his job. He's slower, but he's still doing his job. So what made him want to fight through it and it made other people, oh, well, I'll never. And they die within weeks, if not months, of getting sick. If the world knew what we knew, do you realize how much better and healthier of a place we could live in if we walked in the same faith that David walked in right here? Now let's go down the road a little bit. We're going to go all the way down the road to 2 Samuel 21. Now, if you remember, David picked up five stones. That is the biblical number of grace. Um, Grace, I don't know, I think I still got it up. I might not. Grace means privilege, mercy, pardon, approval, favor, unmerited divine assistance given to humans for the regeneration or sanctification, a virtue coming from God, a state of sanctification enjoyed through divine assistance. I'm not in a I'm not in a a, a biblical dictionary. This is the Merriam-Webster dictionary. that all the top definitions for the word are talking about divine assistance. That by itself should spark something to say, if a bunch of secular writers can say that that's what this word means, then when I have grace, grace, I have abundant grace. I have grace that I cannot measure. It is it is poured in, packed down, shaken up, running over. It never ends. But man, I just I don't feel good today or my boss got on to me at work and I just don't know if I can do it anymore. I don't know if I can keep doing this. Why not? Why not? What is stopping you from saying, you know what? I'm going to kneel down and pick up my five stones, and I'm going to carry them with me. Many, many years later. So at the time that he killed Goliath, he wasn't even old enough to be in the army. He had already been chosen by God to be the king, but he has not been made king yet. He has to go work and hang out and play a liar for Samuel. Uh, Brother Branham says in one of his messages, he never knew how to play a liar. David, he's like, uh, that was a gift that was given to him very quickly. Um, so he went and he played his liar, his little harp, and it made Saul calm down. So I asked a question last night of Erica, and it's something that I really was struggling with. 
Because I told y'all how much when Brother Wayne said, you are always anointed. That changed something in me that I now feel that I, I am walking in my anointing. My, I, I don't leave my anointing at home. I walk with it everywhere I go. It's not just when I step up here to preach. It's not when I'm just here in this building. It's everywhere we go. And I thought about Saul, and I said, was he actually anointed with oil, or did the people just choose him? And he was. He was anointed with oil. Oil being a typification, a type of the Holy Ghost. So why did Saul do what he did? If he was anointed with oil and he went a little crazy. And then when I started listening to that sermon today, I thought that it was going to help me with this, but it was to answer my questions about Saul. And we'll get into that later, but I just want you to keep that, that we are always anointed. Saul was anointed, and Saul started off doing the right thing. And then he turned and thought that his ideas were better. And then when God pulled back from him, is when he lost his mind. Let's just be honest. He lost his mind. In 1963, Perseverance, paragraph 74. Oh, nope. We got to go back to 2 Samuel 21. I never read it. 2 Samuel 21, verse 15. Sorry. Moreover, the Philistines had yet war again with Israel. And David went down and his servants with him and fought against the Philistines, and David waxed faint. And Ishbi Binob, which was of the sons of the giant, the weight of whose spear weighed 300 shekels of brass. I don't know if you've ever picked up brass, but it's heavy to begin with, much less 300 shekels of brass in weight. He being girded with a new sword, thought to have slain David. And Abishai, the son of Zeruah, secured him and smote the Philistine and killed him. Then the men of David swear unto him, saying, Thou shalt go no more out with us to battle, that thou quench not the light of Israel. And it came to pass after this that there was again a battle with the Philistines at Gob. Then Sibichai, sure, the Hushite, slew Saph, which was of the sons of the giant. And there was again a battle in Gob with the Philistines, where El-Hanan, the son of Jaar, Oregim, a Bethlehemite, slew the brother of Goliath, the Gittite, the staff of whose spear was like a weaver's beam. Can't even fit my hand around something like that, much less how long it would have to be. When you hold a spear, you want to do this. Spear is a very versatile weapon. You can throw it. You can stab. You can slash. You can do a lot of stuff. You can block. Tons of stuff. Now imagine something that's like 12, 14 feet long and this big around and somebody's slinging it around like it's a twig. 
And there was yet a battle in Gath. By the way, that's three giants killed so far. Where was a man of great stature that had on every hand six fingers and on every foot six toes, four and twenty in number. And he also was born to the giant. And when he defied Israel, Jonathan, the son of Shemiah, the brother of David, slew him. These four were born to the giant in Gath and fell by the hand of David and by the hand of his servants. That's five stones. David was getting old come this time. He died when he was around 70, 71. So we got to be getting close around this time for him to just faint from exhaustion. But if we go all the way back to when he killed Goliath, it said that it more or less sparked the faith of the people that were there, the army that were there. So those that were there that went and killed these four, there's a very good chance that they were standing in that army when little old ruddy David ran out there with a stone, whacked Goliath in the head, cut his head off and caused the whole army of Philistines to flee. And they went, well, if he can do it, why can't I? So I ask you tonight, is God the same yesterday, today, and forever? Is Jesus the same yesterday, today, and forever? Was there anything that was overly special? Did, did, did anybody in the Bible have more God than you? And you go, well, of course, look at the prophets. But if Jesus is the same, then he can feel you the same. Most of these prophets were not in the time to be baptized with the Holy Spirit. God would come in, work through them, then have to pull back because the blood of bulls and goats. So let's just make it very, very pointed. If Elijah could do it, then why can't you? If Elisha could do it, then why can't you? If Brother Branham could do it, then why can't you? The same God that moved through William, Mary, and Branham is the same God that moves in you. So either you believe that he can do it, you can believe that he's the same, or you go, oh, that was just for him. Those days are past. I've said it before and I'll say it again. I've already seen too much in a year and a half. I've already heard too many testimonies of people being healed of pancreatic things and people being healed of back issues and people being healed of legs and knees and shoulders and sicknesses and they just walk out of here a completely different person so what makes us so special what is so special about this building that when they come in here god meets them and they walk out changed healed and sanctified forgiven they're just a completely different person then on the other side of that how can anybody walk out of here the same person. I have seen the angel of the Lord moving in this in this congregation. A couple Sundays ago, I think it was while Brother Joe was here. So the Saturday before, like I said, a lot of times I'll close my eyes 
and I still see colors when I close my eyes. And I'll close my eyes, but it's like glowing beings. When we were in Claremore the first time, I was to Brother Sam's right, and while he was praying, it was brighter. When I closed my eyes, it almost hurt for the light that was shining out of Brother Sam. Not to point him out, but he was there, and it was my first actual real, I guess you could say, effective prayer line. So I close my eyes, and I can see when he's sitting here. And a lot of times he likes to sit right about where Sister Deborah is, maybe the pew behind. I can't see the pews. I just see the three girls. I see normally just Sister Bethany, Sadie when she's back there, and then a being sitting here, and there's nobody there. You open your eyes, not there. Close my eyes. I see the form of a man. So that Sunday, that Sunday I was standing in the back, and I'm standing at the the uh, soundboard and I'm like where where are you like I feel you here but I don't see you come stand up here and face that way Sam little Sam stand right there just turn around so Sam knows that I'm here but even if I stop talking If anybody ever stands this close to you, you feel them. You can feel my presence. What is so special about me? Nothing. I'm a human being. But as real as I'm standing here, I felt him standing behind me. You can sit down. So I'm standing there, and I'm just in tears. And like I could see behind me, there was a ball of light just over my right shoulder. I can't see here. But almost in my mind's eye, I could see here. And it was just a ball of light. And I'm crying, and I was, thank you. Thank you so much. I know you're here. Just move through. Touch everyone. We've seen him both in this building and in that building. I pray that nobody can deny his presence. So how can we walk in here and walk out the same way? If you walked into the very throne room of God and you physically see Jesus sitting on the throne, are you going to go, oh, hey, man, and walk back out? How could you, right? His very presence will... Every knee will bow. We will want to bow. I want to bow in his physical presence like that where I can physically see him in his nail-scarred body. Others will not want to, but they will have to because they will have no choice, and then they will also know that it is too late. So in the, in the sermon, Perseverance, 1963, Paragraph 74, it looks very ridiculous when there stood a man some 14 feet tall or more, I believe, his fingers 14 inches long with a spear in his hand like a weaver's needle, probably half from here to the door out there, standing over and challenging Israel. I would almost say that this one was bigger than Goliath. 
Because when Satan gets his butt whooped and has to run off, he's going to come back louder and try to look bigger. He's going to put on a bigger production to try to scare you to make you walk away. But once again, if David could do it, then why can't you? Challenging Israel, there was Saul on the other side, head and shoulders above his army, a trained man, all of them well-trained and buffed, bluffed. That's right. And the devil wanted to proposition with them. Pay attention to this, please. That's the way the devil does when he thinks he's got the best side. Come over. Let's not have no bloodshed, just the two of us. If I whip your man, then we'll, you'll serve us. If he kills me, then there'll only be one of us die instead of armies of us. What a proposition he can make. Everybody was scared to death. And it looked ridiculous to see a little stoop-shouldered kid come up with a little sheepskin wrapped around him, a slingshot tied to his side with some raisin cakes in his hand to see his brothers. And that devil made his boast in front of the man of God one time. And he called his hand on it. Why? He knowed who God was. Said, I'll, you mean to tell me that you'll let the armies of the living God, let that uncircumcised Philistine defy the armies of the living God? I'll go fight him. Oh my. Why? He was persistent. And you go, okay, Matt, David was anointed more than once. Okay. It was also Old Testament. David got poured with oil. Um, if you've ever worked with the oil, the smell, the, the, the feeling, it'll last a while. Um, but from a physical standpoint, it does wear off. Maybe not as fast on them because they didn't have running water. But it will wear off. Everything you touch will get a little oily. Your anointing does not wear off. Our anointing, just like that physical oil, everything that we touch will get a little oily. That's why it's said to, when, when they're sick among you, have them come and anoint them with oil. While I was reading this, I came up and it says, when fasting... Anoint your head with oil and wash your face. It doesn't say, I mean, in that point, it doesn't say have somebody do it for you. You can do it yourself when fasting. So if, if fasting, if prayer and fasting can cast out the really hard demons, then how much more if you follow all the steps? Do you realize the power that is in you, not just in this room, not just in Sam, not in me, not in Joseph or Aaron or Levi, but in everybody here? When I used to talk about faith, I'd talk about little kids. When Presley was little, I used to, when I would change her diaper, I'd stand her up on the, di the, the changing table and I'd say, jump, no matter where I was at. And I'd gradually step back. One day, I overestimated her jumping ability. And I caught her about this far from the ground. Nice, hard floors. She never doubted me for a second. She didn't. When I said jump, she went. 
So when God tells you, anoint them with oil and lay your hands on them, they shall recover. Is that not what it says? Did I make that up or is it written in here? Do you believe that everything in here is divine word from God? From the very, yes, it was penned by man, but the, the word that came into their ear was from God himself. In the chosen, when he's talking to the multitude, so many people get there and they don't have microphones. They didn't have the opportunity to have something like this. So you imagine a couple 10,000 people in here. So what Jesus said is he said, y'all go out there and just repeat what I say. And that about made me cry too, because that is what should happen here. That's what should happen every day in our life. We should never say anything that comes from us. Seek ye first the kingdom of God. So when he steps into you and he speaks through you, and they were hitting it word for word, and you go, Matt, that's just a show. But that's how this should be. None of this should be my intellect, Sam's intellect, any guest minister we have. Like I told you, I did not have much of anything on here. I was honestly afraid that we'd be done way early. So now I want to change this a little bit, not so much on the topic, but I still want you to understand what will happen if we can all come together and function in our anointing? Let's go to Psalms 133. Very short Psalms. Behold how good and how pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. Oh, Matt, that's so sweet. We can just all get along, man. It is like the precious ointment upon the head that ran down upon the beard, even Aaron's beard that went down to the skirts of his garments. As the dew of Hermon and as the dew that descended upon the mountains of Zion, for there the Lord commanded the blessing, even life forevermore. And you go, What's up? I, I want to share with you why Hermon was used. So it's a range of mountains whose snow melt supplies the water for the Jordan River. You know how much snow that has to be to supply water for a river year-round? And it was used as a high place for bell worship. And you go, oh, Matt, what are you talking about? But after the bell worshipers were taken down, and the grove and all of that was torn down. And we move into the New Testament. It was probably the site of Christ's transfiguration. All throughout the Bible, water is used to typify life. All throughout the Bible. Jesus uses it. It's talked about in Old Testament, New Testament, front to back. God made this mountain tall enough that in the winter it would get snow. Israel is not a cold country if you've never looked on a map. So in the summer, the snow would melt just enough 
that there'd be enough water in the Jordan to supply a whole country, both the just and the unjust, benefited from this. And then Baal worshipers came in and tried to say, oh, it's ours, look what we do. But all things work together. All things work together. And God took a place that was used in such a negative way to do such a positive thing hundreds, if not thousands of years later. You'd have to look up the time frame. So the word anoint, to smear or rub with oil or perfume for either private or religious purposes, the Hebrew used mostly in the Bible is Massa, M-A-S-A-H. In Isaiah 21.5, they say oil the shields. That is the word Massa. They were anointing the shields for battle. Smearing paint on a house, Jeremiah 22.14, decorates it in red. Or anoint the body with oil, Amos 6.6, 6, use the finest lotions. But the theological meaning of Massa is fourfold. An individual or abject set apart for divine use. Said to be anointed. Solomon 1, chapter 29, verse 22. This made him both responsible and accountable to the people. When I say that you are always anointed, that is not just saying I always have Jesus Christ living in me. I want you to understand that makes you accountable to God and to his bride in this room and out of it. When you are at work, when you are at home, when you are at the grocery store, when you stop by the library, I don't care where it is. You are always anointed. You are always accountable. There will be a day that I have to stand and answer for everything that I've ever said in any sermon that I've ever preached, good or bad. I have to, I have to answer for it. So that's why Brother Branham said it, Paul Shirley says it, Sam says it, just about everybody, everybody we've ever had up here. If it's not in here, if it is not in this book, if it is anything that is contrary to this, I do not deserve to stand here because I am held accountable, not just to the church, but to the people of this church and to God. When people were anointed, God empowered them to accomplish his tasks. No one is allowed to harm God's anointed. Don't believe me? Psalms 105.15. So the term Mashiach, derived from Masa, is another word that's used in the Bible. And this is where we don't really... We lose things in translation. The word world is translated different ways. And until you break it down and go, okay, this one's talking about 
the actual world, but this one's talking about a period of time. So mostly through the Bible, the word masa is used, M-A-S-A-H, is used for anointed, but the term mashiach, M-A-S-H-I-Y-A-C-H, refers to the Messiah who was to come from the house of David. That's what it means. John 1, 41. John 4, 25. Acts 10, 38. So what happens when we start working in this anointing and we start moving in a way that we're all functioning in it? Y'all mind if I just take a couple more minutes? Second Chronicles, verse 5. Now this is, I was talking about this to some people. If you've never read this, the, the directions that went into building the temple under Solomon, um, it is immense detail. They had to carve hundreds of pomegranates into the top of the pillars and second chronicles 5 and 13 it came even to pass as the trumpeters and singers were as one to make one sound to be heard in praising and thanking the lord and when they lifted up their voice with the trumpets and cymbals and instruments of music and praised the lord saying for he is good for his mercy endureth forever that then the house was filled with a cloud even the house of the lord so that the priests could not stand to minister by reason of the cloud for the glory of the lord had filled the house of god just because they all came together to praise and to play music in one way nobody had their own agenda Nobody said, look how loud I can sing. Look how pretty my voice is. They just all came together to make one voice unto the Lord. Flip over to 6 and 42. Oh, it's here somewhere. O Lord God, turn not away the face of thine anointed. Remember the mercies of David, thy servant. Now just drop straight down to seven. Now when Solomon had made an end of praying, the fire came down from heaven and consumed the burnt offering and the sacrifices, and the glory of the Lord filled the house. And the priest could not enter into the house of the Lord because the glory of the Lord had filled the Lord's house. And when all the children of Israel saw how the fire came down and the glory of the Lord upon the house, they bowed themselves with their face to the ground upon the pavement and worshiped and praised the Lord, saying, For he is good, for his mercy endureth forever. Well, that sounds familiar. Sounds like we just, we just talked about that. They weren't making big things. Solomon was just praying. If you read that prayer, he's like, just don't, don't ever leave us. 
And if anybody does walk away, just let them think about where we are. This is actually part of it. And just let them turn and look towards the temple, no matter where they are in the country. He didn't say that they have to come back to the temple. And we're in a new day. This is, this is the Old Testament. Solomon said, just let them look towards this direction and bless them. How much more can we have it? We don't have to look towards the church. We don't have to go, okay, well, I'm at Walmart on Meridian, so it's this way. Everywhere you're at, you are the temple. The Lord has filled the temple. Then the king and all the people offered sacrifices before the Lord. And King Solomon offered a sacrifice of 20 and 2,000 oxen and 120,000 sheep. So the king and all the people dedicated the house of God. We do not have to sacrifice sheep and oxen and lambs and doves and pigeons and whatever. But we do need to sacrifice our heart. There's a song out right now on Caleb that talks about, I have nothing that's fit for a king. All I have is my hallelujah. All I can give you that's worth anything is to praise your name in spirit and in truth. You can't just give vain words and expect him to move in your life. You can't just show up for a couple hours on Wednesday and Sunday or if we have some special meetings and then not show up anymore. I heard a pastor say today that we need to take the church from a hospital to a family to an army. Because if we stay at a hospital, people start using you as a drug dealer. Something bad goes on in your li their life, they come up, they get prayed for, they get healed, they, they leave, they never step foot back for another three or four weeks. We knew a guy in Whitwell. He'd have a heart attack. All the churches in town would pray for him. He would get better. He would be healthy. He would stop coming to church. It happened so much that they called a church and the pastor said, I cannot keep praying for you if you're not even going to give yourself back even to come to church. They start using you like a drug dealer. They just want to get their hit, get their fix, and get back out and go back on with their lives until they have another problem and they fall flat on their face and then they go, oh, I know where to go. So they come back here, but they never sacrifice themselves. There is nothing that any of us can give God that is deserving of what he's given us. If, if Jesus did nothing else but give you eternal salvation, if he never healed anything on you, if he never gave us a place to worship, if he never gave you any sort of good thing in life except eternal salvation, that is more than anybody deserves. That is more than we could ever give anybody back. There's nothing that we can do that can even compare to what he gave us, yet he continues to bless us and bless us and bless us. And all he asks is that we sacrifice our tongue, sacrifice our heart, and sacrifice our mind, and sacrifice how we feel about each other. 
Psalms 133 said, if we can all come together. And then we read in 2 Chronicles 5 about they all sang in one voice and they just played the music in, in, in one way. And it just took over to where the priest couldn't even bring the word. And we're talking about a time before the Holy Ghost was sent. How much more can we have it? How much greater can it be if we would just all realize who we are sitting in these pews and who is living inside of us that when we walk out, you might not see it, but you are the, you're not just a flame of fire over your head, that lick of fire, but you are on fire. But are you on fire for the right thing? There's, a, there's stuff going around about how we're living in a matrix. This hit me hard today. We're living in a matrix. It's just a simulation. This has already happened. This has already happened. This has already happened. You see birds, people videoing birds that are just stuck in mid-flight, not moving. That's all a trick of Satan to get the church to think God is not real. I don't need to go to church. And one leaves and then another one leaves. The next thing you know, there's two people sitting in here. We can't keep the lights on on our own. And it's just us because everybody's like, it's just a simulation. So why do I got to sacrifice anything? Marvelous success convincing people that this is just a simulation. Marvelous success. And then all they do is they go, well, it doesn't matter what I do, what I say. I've already been programmed to say this. I'm just somewhere with the, you know, like the movie with the thing plugged in the back of my head. I don't exist. And all it is, is Satan was like, oh, all I got to do is make that bird stop. Oh, y'all believe it? You do? Okay. I got to make it look like that plane's not moving. That's all he's got to do. All of them are in the air. All these simulations, planes and birds, and it's really just planes and birds. They're in the air. And this hit me like a ton of bricks today. I was like, oh, my goodness, why have I not seen this before? Because I needed to not forget it. First John 2. We are coming to a close. I know that sounded like a question. And 18. Little children... Little children, it is the last time, and as ye have heard that Antichrist shall come, even now are there many Antichrists. That's an S. There's not just one. It's not just one president. It's not Vladimir Putin. It's anybody that does not preach and teach and line up with this. Whereby we know that it is the last time. Then went out from us. They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would no doubt have continued with us. But they went out that they might be made manifest that they were not all of us. These antichrists. And in Matthew 24, 23 and 24, he says it again. 
anointed prophets, false prophets. They were anointed just the same as Saul was. They were anointed just the same as anybody. They had signs and wonders, but they started doing it to say, look at me. Look what I can do. So when I was listening to that sermon today, and that was the struggle that I had, well, God, if you anointed Saul, why did he go and turn his back on you and everybody in the whole country and just take them all downhill? And and then I listened to most of that sermon today. Brother Branham says, it's the same anointing, but it's how you work in it. The Holy Spirit still comes in and anointed them. They were prophets. Look at what the Bible says about prophets. They are first, God comes and speaks to his prophets, and then they teach everybody else. And they took that, and they took that anointing, and they took that power that God put on them, and the Holy Ghost being put on them. And they took it somewhere else to manifest other things. And to say, I'm not associated with that word made flesh assembly. I don't want to be associated with them William Branham worshipers. That's some kind of cult. People believe it. Because signs and wonders follow those. And they, at one point, were working for God, and God anointed them, even though knowing what they're going to do. Don't get me wrong. Don't think that I'm saying that God didn't know that they're going to walk out. But we don't know when they're going to walk back in either. We don't know where that, that rock bottom is. 20, but ye have an unction from the Holy One, and ye know all things. Everybody know all things? The Bible says you do. We just don't access it. We have the mind of God. He knows all things. So how do we access it? I have not written unto you because you know not the truth, but because you know it, and that no lie is of the truth. Who is a liar? That actually should have been translated the liar. Who is the liar but he that denieth that Jesus is the Christ? He is Antichrist that denieth the Father and the Son. Whosoever denieth the Son, the same hath not the Father. But he that acknowledges the Son hath the Father also. Let that therefore abide in you which ye have heard from the beginning. If that which ye have heard from the beginning shall remain in you, ye also shall continue in the Son, S-O-N, and in the Father. And this is the promise that he that promised us eternal life. Hold on a minute. So, so John's saying that I didn't write you a letter sooner because you already knew all this. I didn't write you because you didn't know. I didn't write you because you do know. And where Satan's been telling me, you're just going to get up there and you're going to talk talk to a bunch of well-learned people that have heard all these things, 
There's a reason that this was my message tonight. Because we do know and we need to be reminded. We need to be reminded what power we have and who lives inside of us. We need to be reminded that we have access to the very mind of God. And you do know all things from the beginning. These things have I written unto you concerning them that seduce you, literally cause you to wonder, that is led to astray. But the anointing which ye have received in him abideth in you, and you need not that any man teach you. But as the same anointing teaches you of all things, and is truth, and is no lie, and even as it hath taught you, ye shall abide in him. If anybody ever tells you that you don't know anything because you need to go to seminary, you need to get your degrees, there ain't no way that you can be a preacher without those, bring them right there. That says that the same anointing that teacheth me all things, that no man teach you, I've had that argument with people that, well, you didn't go to seminary, but I know the author of the book. Who knows the book better than the one that wrote it? Who knows the book better? Who knows what, what this is talking about? Who can bring out the little things in between the lines that everybody else just reads right by and you go, oh my goodness, that just hit me so hard. Oh, David picked up five rocks. Who cares? Oh, my goodness, he put it in a bag full of honey. Do you not see what I'm getting at? And people are like, did he eat it later? Was the honey there for the raisin bran? What, what are we doing? They read right past it because they don't have that anointing. And now, little children, abide in him that when he shall appear, we may have confidence and not be ashamed before him at his coming. And if ye know that he is righteous, you know that every one that doeth righteousness is born of him. Let's close in this, Matthew 24. We're just going to go over there. Matthew 24, 23 and 24. Then if any man shall say unto you, Lo, here is Christ, or there, believe it not. For there shall arise false Christs and false prophets. Those are plural. Those are plural. And shall show great signs and wonders. Well, hold on a minute, Matt. Insomuch that if it were possible, they shall deceive the very elect. Who is the very elect? I'm the elect. There are so many things in today's world, not just on TV, not just on our cell phones. I'm not going to point anything out because you can access it about anywhere. You can go to the library and get access to about anything you want access to. You can go to public schools anymore and get access to about anything you want access to. There's lawsuits all over the country 
about books that are in public school, middle school libraries because of the graphic and pornographic nature of the book. And we're being told that we just need to accept it. And we're being told that we just need to go along with it because that is how the world is changing. But what if just the 30 of us, we don't have to go protest like these other churches do. We don't have to tell people that they're going to hell because they're gay or this and that and yell and scream at them. Jesus told us to love our neighbors. That's everybody. That's everybody. That leaves nobody out. Even these false prophets. They started off probably wanting to do the right thing and then something came in between and steered them astray. So what would happen if you went and talked to them? Our brother from Africa texted me the other morning and I asked him how church was doing. Do you have an actual church building or, you know, do you? He said, no, we only preach at the university. He said, we did have a, a couple special nights the other night and he sent me pictures and I sent them to Brother Sam. And that blessed me and I wasn't even there. Easily tens of thousands of college-aged kids came to the middle of nowhere in Africa, not a cold country. It's not 62 degrees and breezy. They have lions in Africa. They have deadly mosquitoes and scorpions and snakes and all other kinds of stuff. But they came out because they wanted to praise God. But we can't even come out because there's a little bit of snow or because you got the sniffles. We've all had that point that we didn't feel good. We've all had a, a, an excuse that we go, that's a good one. They'll believe that one. But what better place to be than in his presence? Singers and musicians can come back. I've always, to put it plainly, when I taught my kids the difference between mercy and grace, mercy is not getting what you deserve, and grace is getting what you don't deserve. So if I just randomly buy them ice cream, but they've had a bad day, didn't do their homework, didn't do anything, they don't deserve that. Why should I treat them when they've done nothing to earn it? But why should Jesus love you when you've done nothing to earn it? Why did he go through Calvary and take those stripes and be nailed to a splintery beam for you and you don't deserve it? Anybody in here deserve what Jesus did? Anybody walking this earth that tells me that they deserve anything that Jesus did is a bold-faced liar. 
They're very arrogant, and they do not know what they're saying. I was reading an article about tours now that go through the Elaw Valley. It's where David beat Goliath, by the way. And uh, so many rocks have been picked up out of that brook that they have to bring in dump trucks to dump rocks back into it. Now, of course, these new rocks are not there that have not been there for thousands of years. The rocks might have been around for thousands of years. We don't know where they came from. And it's not the meaning of the rock that you pick up when you go to Israel does not do anything for you, but it's your faith in, I want to, what what happened here? What happened here? And it might sound childish or it might sound like I'm grasping at straws, but God is moving in dump trucks of rocks right back to the same valley that are rocked. And all he says is bend down and pick up your grace. Just kneel down. It's right here at my feet. All the grace that you could ever imagine and then some. We don't deserve any of it. Kneel down and pick up your healing. Kneel down and pick up your baptism in the Holy Ghost. Kneel down and pick up whatever it is that you need from Him tonight. I've told you before, and I will always stand by it, this altar is always open. There will never be a time that somebody come up here, and I, hold on a minute, let me finish. I've heard of too many preachers here recently that have been yelling at their worship team, stop playing while I'm praying. Somebody get that baby out of here, go feed him, I'm trying to preach. If you're distracted by a baby, if you're distracted by a piano, then you cannot hear that still small voice. So I challenge everybody tonight. I want every head bowed and every eye closed. Nobody looking around. Close your eyes. Bow your heads. Nobody looking around. If there is anything that you need, he is here. He is walking up and down these aisles. You might not be able to tell, but it is a little foggy in here. If we can all come together, you can get whatever you need. Reach out and touch him. So if you need healing tonight, raise your hand, reach out and touch him. If you need touch him, if you need the baptism of the Holy Ghost, reach out and touch him. If you need more grace, if you need more wisdom, whatever it is, just say, Lord, here I am and fill me. Give me this. I pray of you. But in return, you have to give him your heart. Everything that you have is because he gave it to you. The altar is open. If you need prayer, Brother Sam and I would love to pray for you. Father, I thank you for what you've done here tonight, and I, and, and I pray that it does not fall on deaf ears. I pray that everybody that is under the sound of my takes this with them, and they share it with two, three, four, ten people. 
so that they, they can share it with somebody else. It is not complicated. It is so simple. But it is so hard for many to understand because of you hiding in that simplicity, you hiding in that blade of grass. But Lord, your word said that we know all things. Let us have that, that when we go to talk to our family members and our friends and our co-workers, that when you step in and you say, say this, that we will say this just like you said it. We will not bite our tongue and keep us from prophesying and keep us from, from testimony and testifying for you, Lord. There is nothing that we can do to deserve this. The least that we can do is give you everything that we have. It's the very least. And I pray, Lord, that if there is anything that is standing in between anybody here, anybody listening to me, those that are on the recording, watching on video, I want to speak to you specifically right now, to you directly. You do not have to be in this church to lay this debt, to lay your burdens down at this altar. You can go kneel by your bed, by your bathtub, in front of your couch where you're sitting right now. If you are on a bus, if you are on a train, it does not matter. Just kneel down and pick it up. We reach heaven when we hit our knees. There is so much humility when we kneel down and pray and thank God for what he's done and who he is. And everybody that is in this room with me tonight, if there is anything in between you and your walk with Jesus Christ, I pray that you come to this altar right now and you lay it down and do not pick it back up. Walk out without it. Pick up his yoke. It is light. It is so easy to carry when we give him everything. He is all power. And he'll just take it from you like it was nothing. That thing that you've been struggling with so long. That thing that you just feel it's crushing weight, bearing down on your shoulders. It is keeping you from being able to breathe clearly. Just come up here and give it to Jesus tonight and walk out a changed person. Satan, I bind you. For everyone you are trying to keep in their pew, you cannot stop them. You are not welcome here. I take authority over every foul and unclean spirit in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And I cast you into outer darkness that you cannot stop any one person that is listening to me now and forever. As long as the internet can hold these videos and voice recordings that they will kneel down and give their burden to Jesus. Jesus, I thank you for taking it. And I thank you for your mercy and your grace. And I thank you for just taking all of our burdens and giving us your burden. We love you, Lord. I love you so much. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.
we need you, Lord, right now. We need you, Lord. We need you, Lord, right now. I lift my hands and bow my knees and worship at your throne. We need you, Lord. We need you, Lord, right now. Oh, we lift our hands and bow our knees and worship at your throne. Yes, we need you, Lord. We need you, Lord, right now. I cast it up the name of the Lord Jesus. Exalt thee, 
Just to bring Oh, something that's of worth That will bless your heart Oh, I'll bring you more than a song For a song in itself 
is not what you have required. Oh, you search much deeper within. Through the way things appear, you're looking into my Oh, I'm coming back to the heart of worship, and it's all about you. Oh, it's all about you, Jesus. I'm sorry, Lord, for the things I've made when it's all about you. Oh, it's all about you. I'm coming. I'm coming back to the heart of worship. And it's all about you. It's all about you, Jesus. I'm sorry, Lord, for the things I've made when it's all about you, when it's all about you, Jesus, King of Endless. Oh, y'all, Sadie, Emma, Lily, Levi, Dan, Sam. I want to pray for y'all. It's really on my heart to pray for y'all right now. Okay? I want everybody to put their hand on the person beside them. Levi, get in here. We're all one big circle. Let's pray out loud, every one of us, okay? Jesus, I thank you for this youth group. I know we may not be big, and I know that we may not look like we are much, but we are powerful because this is true worship. This youth that are here with me, Father God, they just bless me so much, Jesus. And I just ask that you do not let this this feeling and this anointing that is on them right now and what they feel, do not let it go away tonight when they go to sleep. Let them take it to camp. Let them walk into camp this weekend and people go, oh, my goodness. Every single one of them have been with Jesus. They know him. They walk with him. We walk with you, Jesus. We must take traveling graces. Give them, give them safe time while they while they sleep, while they are at lunch, while they are at all meals, while they let them meet new friends and just buy their faith and their licks of fire. Let us show up and just move so greatly, so mightily, so powerfully in Pawnee, Oklahoma, that the walls cannot even stand. Fill that place with your cloud, God. That same cloud that led the children out of Egypt. You are that cloud, and you are that pillar of fire. And we know that you are the same today, yesterday, and forever. And you will show up if we just all come together. And we are binding our faith together, Lord, that you will go with us, and we will walk in there, and everybody will be able to share in the faith that we are bringing, that lick of fire that we are bringing. And I thank you for what you're going to do this weekend, Jesus. In your name.
cover me. Oh, cover me when I am hurting. Cover me when I'm not strong. Cover me when I am going through the storm. Oh, cover me when all seems hopeless. Cover me when my faith is gone. Let the peace that passes all I understand. Cover me. Cover me, oh, peace of God, cover me, cover me, cover me, oh, peace of God, cover me. Through the storm, cover me. Oh, it's only in you I am safe. Oh, and only in you I'm happy. It's only in you I find peace, so cover me, cover me, cover me when I am hurting, cover me when I'm not strong. Cover me when I am going through the storm. Cover me when all seems hopeless. Cover me when my faith is gone. Let the peace that passes all I understand. Cover me. Me. I thank you for the cross, cross, Lord. I thank you for the price you bearing all my sin and shame. In love you came and gave amazing grace. I thank you for this love, Lord. I thank you for the price you paid. Oh, bearing all my sin and shame, oh, in love you came and gave amazing grace. Oh, worthy is the Lamb, oh, seated on. The throne, 
Oh, we crown you now with many crowns. You reign victorious. I am the Oh, my Jesus, Son of God, oh, the treasure of heaven, Worthy is the Sing, I thank you for the cross. Oh, Lord, I thank you for the price you paid for bearing all my sin and shame. In love you came and gave me sing grace. I thank you for this love. I thank you for the nerves washed in your cleansing flow. Now all I know is your forgiveness and your embrace. So and worthy is the Lamb. Oh, seated on the throne. Oh, we crown you now with many crowns. You reign so victorious. Oh, Jesus, Son of God. Oh, the treasure of heaven, crucified. Worthy is the Lamb. Oh, worthy is the Lamb. In the morning, when I rise, in the morning, when I rise, oh, in the morning, when I forgive me, Jesus, 
Give me Jesus. Oh, give me Jesus. This world, but give me what God did to vindicate and authenticate his word. I thank the Lord for that. Yes. It's an interesting thing. Kind of hard to describe sometimes. The way you feel someone's heart crying out. And it's hard sometimes to pinpoint it. And you stand and we wait and we might look awkward, but we can feel it crying. We can feel that long. We can feel that pull. And after a certain point, it, it seems like you just won't come. And so we close the service and we try another day and pray that God will move in an environment that something like that would, would compel your heart to be surrendered and give it to him. That's why we keep doing this. I got nowhere else to be. Saturday night at the service, Brother Joe was preaching, and I kept feeling that cry from the audience. And I moved over here at one point, and I kept feeling this real faint crying from the audience. And I turned to look to see who it was. And my daughters were sitting right there on the front row. And I thought, well, that's just my daughters. Who could it be? Later that night, Lily tells us that she wanted to come up and give her heart to God, that she wants more of him. She said, so much more. 
She'd already told Bethany that before, and then told me after. I want so much more of him. Now, the devil will trip you up. The devil will tell you anything one way or the other. He'll tell you you're too young, or tell you you're too old, or tell you you got it when you ain't got it. Or he'll tell you you don't have it when you do have it. Satan's a liar. There's a way to know. There's a way to know. It's not through speaking in tongues. It's not through running and shouting. No, it's not through putting your name on a book. It's not through shaking my hand or anything like that. There, it's a life change. There's a life change. And then your life comes in subject to that word. And you find things in the word that maybe you disagree with before. And now I don't, my life has to change to fit it because I love him. I love his word. And you fall in subject to it and you don't fight him no more. Once you've taken that seal of the Holy Ghost on your life, you're not fighting him no more. See, there's only one of two things. You either get the seal of God or the seal of the devil. There's no fence dwelling. There's no, I'm in today, out tomorrow, I'm lukewarm. No, 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 you, you can't just sit around and, and wait and wait and wait today. Choose you today. I, I read that to you on Sunday. How long will you sit halt between two opinions? How long will you say, well, I've been in the message 60 years, 70 years. How long will you say that's enough? How long will you say that's, I've been a Christian long? But you know in your heart that something's not quite right, that something isn't what it ought to be. You know in your heart, I ain't got to read your mind. I ain't got to read your heart. But God is working on your heart right now. And if he's not, Lord, have mercy. In this kind of environment, this kind of, if God ain't working in your heart, God have mercy. God have mercy because something's wrong. Something's really wrong. If you're sitting here with a critical spirit or, or stepping back or whatever it might be, something's wrong because that ain't the spirit of God. The spirit of God is meek and tender and soft and sweet and, and you only want to see good and you want to see your brothers and sisters give their hearts to God and live for the Lord. You only want to see them do better in their life and walk closer to God. You only want to see more of Christ in them. And you realize if we got to go to midnight, if we got to go to two in the morning, whatever it takes for a birth, for a birth to come out, come and then the life and the fruit will prove of it. I love the hunger. I love the longing. I, I think about John Ryan coming before Brother Branham, and, and he was a blind man, and he told him, he said, I believe you, Brother Branham. He said, well, by his stripes, you're healed. And he goes, sits down, and after a while, gets back in the line. And he said, he, he, he said I, don't, I don't know what to do. You told me I was healed. He said, you told me you believed. He said, I believe. What am I supposed to do? You keep confessing. You keep confessing. You keep confessing. Now, and as you come to that, if you need to come back up to the line, we'll pray for you. I'll pray for you many times you need to. I don't get burned out. I'm not tired. I'm not weary. I'll pray for you all day long. Don't let Satan beat you up. Well, he'd already prayed for me five times. He'd already prayed. Forget that liar. All day long. I'll pray for you all day long. Your brothers and sisters are supposed to bear one another's burdens. If you don't feel that way, something's wrong. Examine yourself, the scripture says, to see whether or not you be in the faith. Examine yourself. What a mighty God we serve. Now the Holy Ghost is a gentleman. He is a gentleman. Michelle asked me the other night a question about what I preached on Sunday. Why did God allow the tree of knowledge good and evil to be planted? Why did he allow Satan to be there? Because you have to make your choice. You got to make your choice. And it's not just a one time and, you know, the forever saved, once saved, forever. It ain't like that. No, tomorrow you'll get up. You'll make a choice again. Lord, I'm going to choose today. And I'm going to choose tomorrow and the next day. And when it's hard and the fire is hot 
and the enemy's coming and I'm discouraged and I'm down and I'm depressed or I'm lazy or you fill in the blank, I'm still going to choose to serve the Lord. I'm still going to choose to live for the Lord. I don't care if anyone else does. Like Joshua said, you choose you this day when you will serve me in my house. We are only going to serve the Lord. The Lord, because there's only one the Lord. There's not many lords. There's only one the Lord. There's only one creator. He's the only one worthy of all honor, glory, worship, and praise. He's the only one worthy of your heart. Do not hold it back a second old. Let's all stand on our feet tonight. Lord have mercy. Lord have mercy. Let's close our eyes. Dear Lord, we stand here yet again at the close of a service where you have done such awesome things. Or so many people waste that word on silliness on tennis shoes or a car or an outfit or something really silly, Lord, but the only thing that's awesome is you, God. And the slightest, I think about a testimony that came out of the Welsh Revival, Lord, is that they said that the tiniest little thing that you would do would set the people's heart on fire. Lord Jesus, we thank you for what you've done here tonight, Lord. Our hearts are on fire. Lord, we appreciate you, Father. <clears throat> We're not after a bunch of numbers. We're not trying to have the, the, the biggest group or anything like that, Lord. Our heart's desire, our goal, the, the passion burning in our heart is that every single person in this room will become a powerhouse of the Holy Ghost. They'll become a powerhouse of your word, a powerhouse of your fire to burn upon this world. Lord, that we might go out and shine your light to others. Or I know still tonight there are some that won't give their heart to you in this room. They think they're okay. When in reality they're not, Lord. They hold themselves from you. They hold parts of themselves from you. Lord, I pray because I love them that you'll have mercy. Lord, a long time I held so much of myself from you and you had mercy on me. I pray you'd grant the same mercy to them, Lord, that you'd forgive them that you'd help them, Lord. We were created solely to worship you and to live for you. That was the only reason we're created, Lord. Not to do anything else, but to live for you, Lord, that your hearts would be your throne. Lord, forgive us that we put so many things in that place. Forgive us, Lord, we pray. But I pray that you would keep working on our hearts tonight. Lord, as we go down to these meetings that start tomorrow, Lord, last year that, that set of meetings changed my life. I've testified that it has catapulted my walk with you, Lord. I'm not the same person that went down to those meetings last year. God, I thank you for that. I thank you for your mercy to me, Lord, for these people, for this body of believers here, Lord. We appreciate you so very much, Lord Jesus. Pray you be with us as we go our separate ways. I pray you'd help us. But you would draw us nearer and nearer and nearer to thee. We love you so much, Lord. Give you all the glory and the honor and praise, Lord, in your beautiful and precious name. Bring us back Sunday, Lord, with such an expectation in our heart, such a longing to see more of you, the Creator, such a, a, a burning desire, Lord God, to be more like you, to be nearer to thee, Lord. Help us, we pray. We never want to leave the same way we come in. We want to be changed, Lord, every single time in your presence. We worship you. We adore you. We give you all of ourselves in your holy, holy name. Lord, bless all of our brothers and sisters that are sick tonight, Lord. 
Satan has tried to put so much sickness on us. But yet, Lord, by your stripes, we are healed. By your stripes, we are healed. Not because of some doctor's work, not because of we a good person or anything like that, but Lord, that, that grace our brother was talking about earlier, that mercy, Lord, that you decided to bear my stripes so that I could be healed. We claim that healing now, Lord, that you'll rub that balm of Gilead all over my brothers and sisters right now, Lord. Brother Nathan Hobbs and his family, Lord, give mercy to them. Help their hearts, Lord, their loss of the aunt there, Lord. Be with that family. Lord, we thank you. We adore you in your holy and lovely name. Amen. 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 Yes, Lord, oh, say.